are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope everybody had a solid weekend. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on the Monday edition of the show. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Lance, how's it going? I'm doing great, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Doing really well. And I want to open up today's show. Of course, this is technically the second weekday of fall camp. Of course, practicing over the weekend and whatnot. But continuing in our preseason depth chart series today, moving on to the defensive side of the ball. We've wrapped up all of our offensive positions. Now it's on to the defensive side of the ball. And let's take a look at the defensive line. We want your thoughts on this as well. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. If you got any questions as well, hit us up. We'll do our best to answer them. Yeah, so we've got four. I believe we've got four different positions here that we're going to go through um, or or three different positions. We're gonna I, at least I I had written written down defensive end, nose tackle, defensive tackle, and then the edge, which I believe is just the strong side outside linebacker. But well, it's it's technically the edge. I want to start if that's okay with you at defensive end as with with our number one guy. Let's go for it. My number one guy, I believe that's going to start at defensive end. I I, I believe it's going to be Colby Wooden. Uh, he led the team in tackles for loss last season uh, as a redshirt sophomore. He was not on any of the All SEC teams at, uh, that were uh, that were put out on at, at SEC Media Days. Um, he was asked about that actually in his press conference just a couple of days ago, and he said that, that that's definitely fueling him. It's going to drive him this season. I, I expect him to be one of Auburn's more consistent players uh, on the defensive line. So I, I've got him listed as my number one at the end. I would agree with you on that. Colby Wooden last year was Auburn's most consistent defensive player on the defensive line. He was the one who was able to generate the most consistent pass rush. He was the most consistent run stopper off the edge as well. Colby Wooden, if you're talking about defensive end, if you're talking about any spot on this defensive line right now, and I think there are two position battles really going on on the defensive line, and this coaching staff may say that every spot is open up for competition. They may say that, but... In truth, I think there are a couple that are really nailed down and are fine. Like, I think Colby Wooden at defensive end is good, and I think Derek Hall at edge is fine as well. But nose tackle and defensive tackle, maybe there's a little bit of a battle going on. Colby Wooden is as safe as it gets. Yeah, I agree with you. Do you want to rotate around the positions, or do you want to do everybody that we have at defensive end right now? Let's stay at defensive end. Go on to number two. My number two is Marcus Harris. Uh, sophomore out of Kansas he was not overly impressive for Kansas last year but he wasn't terrible it was their best defensive lineman possibly it, it, it was it was at Kansas <laughs> you, still you look at his statistics and they're not terrible they're just not like they just don't blow you out of the water he had 27 total tackles uh, he had a forced fumble and a fumble recovery um, but that that was about it and it wasn't it wasn't anything again it wasn't anything crazy but 
I believe, based on what we've heard out of camp, that he is going to be a guy that also gets to see the field a little bit for Auburn. So I, I have him as my, at my number two spot at the edge. I know it was Kansas, but no one on that team, aside from Marcus Harris, had more than two and a half tackles for loss. No one on that team had more than two and a half, with the exception of Marcus Harris, who had a whopping seven and a half. He had 27 tackles. That was up there for, let's see, tied for sixth on the team in tackles. He was productive as a freshman last year at Kansas. That says a lot. If you were able to get on the field, I know it was Kansas, and his competition around him at Kansas wasn't that good. But it's not like he was playing against the Kansas offensive line on Saturdays. He was playing against other Big 12 teams. And for him to produce like that, I'm impressed. I'll take that. I think he gets onto the field. I don't have him at second on my depth chart at this point. I'm going to go with someone a little bit more experienced, has been in the program for a little bit longer. I'm going to go with junior Caleb Johnson at that position. Now, he hasn't been overly productive. I think he has some like 14 tackles at this point in his career. And honestly, I would take Marcus Harris's production over Caleb Johnson's at this point. But I think being in the SEC and being inside this program for longer has prepared Caleb Johnson for this backup role a little bit more adequately than Marcus Harris but I am impressed with Marcus Harris's production and I'll be one who is very quick to defend it when people start talking about oh well it was at Kansas and I I don't know you aren't dogging the guy or anything but I don't think that means anything I I think it was if anything it's a testament to his ability to produce despite the fact that he was at a poor location I will say this though his his two best games were against West Virginia and Kansas State. He had three tackles for loss against West Virginia, and he had two and a half against Kansas State. Again, I'm not knocking on this kid's talent. I'm just saying, like, he's not produced against SEC-level competition, so that's the reason why I wouldn't have him starting. That's the reason why I'd have Wooden starting. But I believe, you know, you look, seven and a half uh, total, uh, so total tackles for loss over the course of, what, six or seven games at the Division One level. I'm not knocking that. Sure, well, I'll definitely take that as a backup guy. In his sophomore season, he's got time to develop. Third string guy for you? Uh, I've got Tepechi Okoli, the uh, okay. the freshman, 6'5", 250 pounds. Just another guy that I think is out of these freshmen that I think may see the field just a little bit this season. Not a whole lot on him. Uh, I just I just believe that you you look at other guys that Auburn could potentially have have here, uh, maybe Daniel Foster Allen potentially as a guy that you could see there. I I just I think that you you look at the options that Auburn has and I feel the most confident with Okoli because I've got some of Auburn's other transfers starting at different positions well let's move on to a different position there because I've already said Marcus Harris I think for me at this moment is third string at defensive end but he could move up that chart if he continues to be as productive as he was at Kansas let's move along let's go to defensive tackle not nose tackle but defensive tackle defensive tackle I have Marquise Burks the junior now this may change um, because I, 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 you look at the guys that could potentially be starting at defensive tackle, not nose tackle, defensive tackle, and I think it could be interchangeable. You could see Dre Butler out there. You could see Cykevius Walker. Walker, we've heard a lot of really good things about Cykevius Walker. Uh, you could also see maybe J.J. Pegues at some point. That would be pretty dope. Uh, I'm going with Marquise Burke simply because I feel like he's got the most experience uh, out of all these guys. I'm going with Cykevius Walker. I thought we saw, of all these guys on this defensive tackle position or even nose tackle a bit because now with Tyrone Truesdale being up in the air and not really understanding what his status is at the moment with this football team there's definitely less bodies at nose tackle now so I think you might see a little bit more crossover between the two positions but I think of a lot of these guys at this defensive tackle slash nose tackle position Zykevis Walker has been 
one of the most productive names on that list. You go and look for Marquise Burks on last year's Auburn tackle list, he's nowhere to be found. You look at Zykevis Walker, at least he's got 14 tackles. And we saw the guy a lot last year. He made his presence known in the LSU game. He came up with one sack last year, I believe it was in the LSU game. I may be wrong on that, but still, we saw him perform last season more than any of these other names on this depth chart and I think that does give him an edge there but the guy competing with him the most and the guy that I actually have second string at this position is J.J. Pegues at 6'2 like 308 is what we've seen him at or maybe 6'2 300 hovering around there of course he was an athletic freak and the move from tight end to defensive tackle shouldn't be that difficult for someone that was athletically gifted as J.J. Pegues but there's still probably a lot to learn there for him from from a technique perspective, from a scheme perspective. He is switching sides of the football, right? And so I'm going to go with the guy that has been on the field, has been at least somewhat producing at the position, has been playing the position for a lot longer. That's why I went with Walker at the top, and then I went with Pegues at number two. But I think Pegues, with his physical ability, he gets on the field. I'm, I'm okay with that. And again, like I said, I feel like this is going to be a group that we see rotate uh, not 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 a ton, but I think it's going to be quite a bit until Auburn finds their guy at that that defensive tackle spot. So I'm I'm completely fine with Walker there. Third string, third string. I, I again rotation wise, you could see Walker, you could see Burks, you could see JJ Bickies, and then you could also see Dre Butler. So if I were no to, Lee Hunter, no Lee Hunter, because I believe he may be potentially uh, playing at that nose tackle position. So I look at this depth chart right now. Once again, I go back to. There's a lot of crossover between nose tackle and defensive tackle. There are several guys that I think could play both, and Lee Hunter's one of those guys. I think it's more likely we see him at defensive tackle based on his frame, his size, as opposed to nose tackle. And my reasoning for that is you need to be at like 330. You need to be massive. You need to be Tony Fair's size. You need to be Tyrone Truesdale's size. You need to be Marquise Burks's size if you're going to be playing nose tackle. And at this age... And at this point in his development, there is stamina concerns for a freshman. There's physical concerns for a freshman that may not be ready to step into a nose tackle position full time or to get significant playing time at that spot. I think it'll be easier for him to pick up defensive tackle. So I've also got him as one of those guys that are going to move around on this defensive line this year because I think he's that gifted. But I think you see him playing more defensive tackle than you see him at nose tackle. So that's where I've got him at. I've got him playing behind Walker and Pegues on that defensive line. And he gets he'll get into every ball game. He will play this year. I do not believe Redshirt is on the table for Lee Hunter. You shouldn't want that. You should want him out on the field. And I think he'll produce and I think his production will increase as the year goes on as he gets more comfortable and as he gets more conditioned and he gets more acclimated to the college game. But the spot at defensive tackle, I think, is reserved for guys who are a little bit more acclimated to the college game, which is Akivas Walker and, and, and J.J. Pegues in front of him. And then below that, I've got Dre Butler below him. So moving on, nose tackle. What are you looking at there? Tony Fair. Yeah, that's pretty much your only option at this point. Yeah, after Truesdale left, it's Tony Fair. And the reason that I have Lee Hunter as the backup to him, I believe he's, he's past 300 pounds right now. 
I might be wrong on that, but I believe Lee Hunter's gained some weight. Auburn's website says he's listed at 300. I believe he's gotten a little bit past that. I've got him as my second spot simply because I think he's really talented, and he's going to be able to uh, fit into this defensive line somewhere. He's going to get playing time, like you said, this year. Somehow, some way, he's going to get playing time on that defensive line, and I just had him as my backup nose tackle because I thought, you know, physically, I think he, I'm pretty sure he is over 300 pounds at this point, and you're looking at him being 6'5". I just think that's another guy that could potentially be just a, 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 a a run stopper then also we've seen his athleticism I think you can maybe you can branch him out to defensive tackle and let him uh let him get some reps there as well the top of mind once again Tony Fair I think we once again you don't know the status of Tyrone Truesdale at this moment but it, it is up in the air and if Truesdale is still around with the program Tony Fair and Truesdale will be at the top of this and I think really sharing a lot of those snaps until one of those guys takes over the position but Tony Fair is the most like a nose tackle on this football team he's the most you you talk about his frame he physically he looks the most like a nose tackle at what like six three six five you know 350 pounds or 330 pounds excuse me not 350 I don't know what I'm saying the 330 pounds right there I mean he was a little bit north of that but I think he's trying to to shed some of that weight he's the most like a nose tackle on this team and that's why Auburn went out and got him at nose tackle that's why they went out and recruited him from UAB they needed to go out and get someone that could actually play the nose tackle position because they didn't have that on the roster at this point then they hadn't had a nose tackle at this point they've been using a 4-3 scheme they haven't been using a 3-4 scheme so they went out and they got Tony Fair and I think he easily fills that void and then the next guy that I think from a frame perspective and, and, and a skill set perspective that fills that defensive tackle position the most or, or, or not the defensive tackle position the nose tackle position is Marquise Burks that's why I went with him on second team nose tackle this would have been Jeremiah Wright if it hadn't been for an injury this would have been Tony Fair or Tyrone Truesdale if we knew what was going on with that situation but at the moment I think you see the mass majority of the snaps go for Tony Fair and you're trying to get that guy ready for the regular season and playing in the SEC because he has not played at this level before he's been at UAB and Indiana State in the past and then you talk about Lee Hunter that's another guy that I think you see get some snaps here as I mentioned earlier but let's head to the phone lines now 334-321-1390 Shadow on the line with us Shadow what's up well I guess my first question for today is you know in the past when the Auburn coaches stepped up to the microphone and they told you something I mean, I've been following them for 50 years now, and and um, sometimes they would tell you the truth, but sometimes they wouldn't tell you the truth. So let me ask you guys, I just heard one of y'all say that Tyrone Truesdale left. Could you explain that? Well, I'll say this. Lance said that Truesdale left, but I will say, and I will leave it open, I'll say that we don't know what's going on with that that's definitely up in there you've seen reports around the program you've seen def- different reporters report on that you know for whatever it could be like a family thing for whatever reason he hasn't been out there since I don't know shadow me being honest with you since I don't know I'm not going to say whether or not he's with the 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 program but I'm just going to leave that open for that he may be he may not be I have no idea I wish I knew, but I have no idea. And so right now I'm not including him on my depth chart because it's not for certain. But if he is with the program, then I think he ends up playing. Well, you know something. I have disconnected my computer. Um, 
I really, uh, I disconnected my cable. Um, you know, so this is another case where even though if you were to talk to Brian Harson, he could tell you. But so we're going to have another administration like all the rest who are going to choose whether they're going to tell you the truth or not. Well, I think, Shadow, I think you have to look at this situation. Once again, we don't know a whole lot with what's going on with it. I think you have to understand that is it our business to know what's going on in Tyrone Truesdale's life? It could be an an incredibly personal matter, and they're just protecting the player, right? As much as maybe we want to know about it, and at some point there are personal matters that players attend to, and I don't know if that's what's going on here or not, but if it is, I mean, at the end of the day, a program is going to protect its players, and that's exactly what they should do. If I was a coach, that's what I would do. I'm not saying that I would lie to folks. I'm just saying I don't have to tell everybody everything that that is going on within my program. They don't have to. There's nothing out there that says that they owe the media or the fan base every lick of information that's inside the program I just don't think that that's true right and then also Mm -hmm. on top of that something that I believe the program asked all these media folks that are coming to watch these practices they asked them not to report on guys that weren't there and eventually it did get out that Truesdale was not at practice Um, so they're trying to kind of of protect these players and kind of keep their personal stuff under wraps so if it's a personal issue and he's stepping away for a little bit or if he's stepping away entirely I don't think that's necessarily something that we as fans like we have to know immediately because again they don't owe us that at the same time though I think when you're looking at the depth chart you have to consider those things whenever reports like that come out and so like Noah and I were saying Tony Fair is probably going to be the guy that starts if Truesdale's not here but if Truesdale is still here uh he would definitely be in contention for that starting spot well I have I have um in the past I have heard one thing from the podium and then heard or, or read in the newspaper or heard from a coach uh, who might have been interviewed that would tell you the real reason. Uh, and the thing that the thing that it is that I want to know as a fan of Auburn is if you know whether this is a a, uh, a discipline issue that could affect the whole team. Uh, you, you know, so I, and I understand what you're saying. Uh, you, you know, I guess I just got a little suspicious of the media uh, over the years. And um, as a fan, of course, I want to know because if it is a a uh, an attitude problem, it could affect the whole team. But thank you very much. Thank you, Shadow. Lance, got anything to that? Yeah, I agree with that. You know, as a fan, I want to know what's going on, too. Uh, like, I want to know whether or not Truesdale's playing because he would have been our, like, six-year start or six-year guy starting on the defensive line at nose tackle. Of course, like, we want to know that. But To, to the point about an attitude issue, though, mm-hmm. or a discipline problem within the program, um, I don't think that's going to be an issue with this coaching staff. Yeah, I agree. And my reasoning for that is they're extremely detail-oriented – you haven't seen anybody getting in trouble. They're extremely detail-oriented. Militant is a word thrown around a lot of times from people describing the program. They are extremely focused on the process and doing things the right way. I just want to see people be patient. Shadow's asking questions that 
I understand why someone would ask that. I get it. Like, I understand people asking questions. Well, why isn't Truesdale out there? What are these reports about? And my response to it is, be patient. You're going to find out your answer one way or another, right? Like, when Akron rolls around on September 4th, if his name isn't announced, if his name's not in the program, if his name isn't announced on the starting lineups, well, then you got your answer, right? You don't have to be all up in everybody's business, right? right? And I know that's probably weird coming from someone who hosts a sports talk show and people want to know everything that's going on. And that's why we have message boards. And that's why we have reporters and everything. But the reality of it is, if this coaching staff wants you to know, they're going to let you know. And if they don't, they're going to do everything they can to protect the player, right? Exactly. And that's the reason why they held the media out of like, they literally said, don't report on whether or not players are here. Just observe. And that, that, that's that. So, And once again, I go back to discipline does not seem like it's going to be an issue anymore. If no. you have been keeping up with what this coaching staff has said when they've gone to a podium and how these players have reflected it when they've gone to a podium also discipline is not going to be an issue right to throw if anything that's what's got me the most excited and i was preaching this at the beginning when this coaching search happened and really at the end of last year when the malzahn tenure was really on the rocks after the bama game i was saying this seth williams drops that wide open touchdown pass across the seam and the iron ball and i'm thinking to myself Man, that wouldn't have happened at Iowa State. That wouldn't have happened at insert disciplined football program here. Alabama doesn't drop those passes. Georgia doesn't drop those passes. Insert disciplined championship caliber football winning team right here. Insert that. They don't make those mistakes. Auburn's been making those mistakes under the Malzahn regime. And it didn't seem like there was any accountability for it. But you know what's changing? And, and I think we're seeing little bits of it here and there when you hear this coaching staff talk. Accountability is changing. I think you're getting that, and you're getting discipline inside the program. Right, and I asked Harson this question at media day is, what's different from this coaching staff compared to last year's? And he said, well, I didn't look into last year's coaching staff's, like, their core values, but I'll tell you this, guys weren't showing up on time. Guys weren't working out the way that they should have, and guys weren't finishing. You talk about Seth Williams not catching passes. You talk about Auburn not making tackles or whatever in the secondary. They weren't finishing the job. And so I don't think that's going to be a concern with this coaching staff because they are more than aware of the things that they need to do to fix it. So discipline is not a concern of mine. But with that being said, Shadow, we appreciate the phone call. Always welcome the questions. And again, as a fan, I do want to know what's going on with Truesdale. Sure, so do I. Right. As a media personality, I want to know what's going on. But the reality of it is... We don't know at the moment. And I'm okay with saying that I don't know. I wish people more in life, if not saying don't take responsibility or don't take accountability, but instead of acting like you know something, maybe sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know, right? Maybe it's okay to say, I don't know, and uh, I'll try and do my best to figure that out. So 334-321-1390 is the number to call. Text line at 334-564-1840. We appreciate the call, Shadow. We look forward to hearing back from you, hopefully again tomorrow, anytime. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Phone lines rolling along. We got Joey on the line with us out of Phoenix City, 334-321-1390. Joey, how you doing today? I'm doing good, guys. Uh, 
I just got one thing I want to bring up. I don't get to listen a lot, but I'm just I'm I'm sure it came up on your show before. I'm extremely concerned with a vaccination rate on the team when I'm looking at all the other teams in the SEC with much higher vaccination rates. The Ole Miss just announced yesterday, Kiffin announced that they were at 100%. You got Alabama at 90, Georgia at 90, uh, LSU at 90, Arkansas at 90, and last I heard, we're at 60%. And it really, really upset me when the coach stood up there at the podium at SEC Media Days and said no comment when asked if he had been vaccinated. You know, I am, I'm, ish, I'm really worried. Listen, if, if we have to forfeit a game because of a COVID outbreak, the crap's going to hit the fan quickly. People will be upset. You're spot on right there. I'll tell you, I won't be happy about it. It'll definitely be a be super happy. disappointing thing. Yeah, so I think that this is something that the fan base needs to be a little more vocal about and say, hey, I don't know what's going on here, but let's get these guys vaccinated. We don't need this to interrupt our football season, you know. And it really bothers me that we're at the bottom of the SEC in vaccination rates. I don't understand what the heck's going on here. I wonder if the athletic director, I mean, what kind of input does he have on this? You know, and Joey, this actually hasn't come up that much on our show. Not too many people have called about it. Maybe we've had one or two calls about it. I think Ed's called Mm -hmm. about it maybe once, and I think Matt may have called in once about it. But, you know, I'm with you. It it definitely is – it it will be a disappointing thing if Auburn ends up having to forfeit. I'll say this, though. Last year that wasn't an issue for Auburn, and they didn't have the vaccine. They They handled the situation really well last year really didn't deal with any COVID positives until that Mississippi State week but fortunately you were saved because Mississippi State also were were dealing with the issues and Auburn handled it really well basketball season Auburn handled it really well baseball season also Auburn never Auburn really hasn't dealt with this as a major issue they've really done well inside their own COVID protocols so I'll say this maybe it's best wait and see I respect everybody's you know own decision that they make on this I'm not going to sit here and tell everybody you got to do this you got to do that because I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me even though I have taken my own personal stance to get the vaccine I have done that but I'm not also going out telling people oh you got to do that you got to do that you know because I know people don't I know people don't like that right and so I'll say this it will be super disappointing if they do end up having to forfeit but on the flip side that hasn't really been an issue for Auburn yet to this point yeah we haven't had a positive in months have we I don't think so. Not that's been reported. Yeah. yeah, I don't think we've had unless they have unless they're keeping it under wraps. So, so that's a good thing. And but all it takes is one little outbreak that's to cause right. a big issue. And you know, and we all know this. So, anyway, that's what I called in about. That's my concern, and I'm hope I'm hoping it's something that we won't have to worry about in the future. But we'll see. Joey, we appreciate Thank, it. All right, thanks, man. That was Joey on the line with us. Be sure to call back. I think that's a first-time caller on this show. May have called in to drive a few times, but we appreciate you calling in, Joey. Now we're going to go to our next caller. I don't think we got your name. Who's on the line with us? Hello. Hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, how you guys doing? We're doing really well. Uh, I have some questions concerning uh, the defense. Um, dating back since the, since the spring, I think it's going to be a challenge for – this defense uh, moving to a Mm -hmm. 3-4. Just particularly because, you know, they've been playing 4-3 for the last maybe four or five seasons. And, you know, it's it's a different defense, different schemes. 
That's right. Um, so you're asking guys, Derek Hall, mainly one guy, um, your core players who was there with steel, um, you're asking them to do a lot of different things like standing up, dropping back in coverage. And I don't, I'm not too high on that. Hey, real quick, can uh, can we head to a quick break here? We got to head to a quick break. Stay on the line with us, though. We'll we'll get you for the rest of the call when we come back. All right? Yes, sir. Sounds good. We'll be right back in just a moment. You're listening to on the line. Back on on the line. Thirty minutes into the Monday edition of the show, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. We headed to cut you off. Shedrick is on the line with us. Sorry, we hit the hard break. The, the stinger starts playing and we got to go for our uh, for our network programming and whatnot. But it's, it's good to have you on the line. Shedrick, you were talking about transitioning from the 4-3 to, th- to the 3-4 and why it might be a problem. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, I'm a big Cowboys fan, and I'm not trying to, uh, to replicate what Dallas did with what Auburn is doing. But, you know, you just look at the struggles that they've had uh, moving to a 3-4. And I'm just kind of, you know, suspicious of it as far uh, as that goes. Now, I think they are very talented um, with a lot of players, a lot of, you know, key players. And and I think they'll be good with the base players. But how are they going to bear out is the biggest question. And I hear a lot of talk uh, within the program saying these guys are, you know, this is going to be a good defense. But, you know, I want to wait. I want to see, honestly. you know, the secondary is the strength with these guys, Smoke and uh, uh, the two corners, McQuarrie and uh, and uh, I can't think of the other guy's name, 36. Talking about Jalen uh, Simpson? Simpson? Yes, yes. And I think those guys will fare pretty well in the secondary. But when you're asking guys who, you know, got recruited to play in a 4-3 scheme or a 4-2-5, you know, and you're asking them to do you know, three, four jobs, it, it, I think it's going to be quite difficult. I'm, I'm thinking it's not going to be easy as they expect it, as fans expect it. You know, Shedrick, I think you're raising some valid points. It, it is always, and we talked about this back in, you know, January, February, when we saw that Derek Mason was hired as the defensive coordinator. It's like, what does a transition from the 4-3 to the 3-4 look like? Do they even have the personnel to run it? And I think they've gone out in the transfer portal, and they've gone out and gotten the the personnel. You talk about how many transfers Auburn's brought in. I mean, they brought in, you know, like five, six, seven guys on the defensive side of the ball in the transfer portal. So I think they went in to go and fill some of those holes. I, for one, am pretty excited about the move. Now, will there be, will there be some growing pains this year? Yes. I'm excited you know, like about one, like Like one problem, I, I heard you guys saying earlier about Zykevius Walker. Um, I think when he came in, he was maybe 268, you know. So, you know, he played a lot inside, and that's was, uh, where pretty much one of the struggles were because they uh, still had a lot of guys playing in that defensive tackle position. And if you can go back and look at some of those games, they were getting blown off the ball yeah. because of the side. So now with that 3-4 and that true nose tackle and you have guys sliding in the inside, at 285 pounds, I, I mean, it, it's. I was never a fan of the three four, honestly, but I'm all for change. But if you, you know, if you have the right players for this scheme, it can work uh, perfectly. But if you don't, um, you're looking for a long se- season defensive, and, which and, 
and some of the best defenses in the SEC are running the three four right now. So I, I, I know what you're saying. You know, Alabama does some variations of it. Texas A and M some variations. Georgia is pretty much by the book three four these days. I mean, there is what what excites me most about it. I hope people don't think that Auburn's like super glued to just a three four front. Derek Mason's very multiple, and we actually had several times. We have a a Vanderbilt twenty four seven sports guy on Robbie Weinstein, and we asked him a couple of times about what this defense is going to look like with Derek Mason coming in. And he said, honestly, by the end of his career at Vanderbilt, he was switching up his fronts every week, whether it was 4-3 or 3-4. So I think there's a lot of versatility on the roster to, to do this. I, I don't want people to be glued down to thinking that this is just going to be three guys on the inside and then two stand-up outside linebackers. I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be like that. I think they're going to rotate around their fronts. Okay, well, uh, last question. Um not going to hold you guys up any longer, but what about the two guys that we heard a lot from in the spring, Tennyson and uh, the receiver, Johnson, Javaris Johnson, if I'm not mistaken. I, um, think- I haven't really heard too much about them these this first couple of days in training camp. And, to uh, be fair, I'm going to let you guys go. Sounds good, Shedrick. We appreciate you calling in. Don't be a stranger. No problem. That was Shedrick on the line with us. To be fair, there's not a whole lot coming out out of fall camp anyway yeah again like we said in the, uh, we were talking with shadow in the first uh first couple of segments or so you know uh this this coaching staff we talk about malzahn being secretive and not really like letting anybody know what's going on but this coaching staff doesn't want the media uh talking about what's going on period they don't want people talking about whether or not players are actually showing up to practice or not so you you talk about secrecy there's not a whole lot there's not a whole lot of, of special things coming out of fall camp. Now I will say this: I do, I, I am still really high on Javaris Johnson after hearing yeah. what, what, what that the stuff out of, out of spring. I think recently Harson said that Demetrius Robertson will be returning kicks for Auburn. That he could potentially be a special teams guy. And I also think Javaris Johnson, if he's not one of Auburn's receivers, one of the the top four, I think we could definitely see him as a punt or uh, kick returner as well. Well, they absolutely adored Johnson in the spring. Said that he was the most consistent receiver throughout the spring. So I I think he's going to be just fine and slot again here and he's going to be in the mix for being one of Auburn's top targets this next year maybe one of Auburn's top four receivers I think he possesses a similar skill set to that of Eli Stove now that's not me saying that he's going to be nearly as good as Eli Stove this year but I do think that he possesses a similar skill set and can perform a similar type of role but then again I hate comparing receivers to the previous coaching staff and the way in which that they used those guys because it's going to be drastically different now with the way that this coaching staff uses wide receivers. And then to talk about Tennyson real quick, I think Tennyson's spot is up for grabs. I think at nickel? Uh if he that, is other, nickel? that other safety spot. I got you. He was playing the other safety spot next to Smoke Monday in the spring. And I think that that spot is up for grabs for a few different players. Donovan Kaufman is a name that's hot on people's lips, especially the players and talking about someone who's showing some things. And then you also talk about Bidarius Knighton. Mm-hmm. He was a 200-plus tackle guy, of course, at Southeast Missouri State. And you're trying to ratchet that up and get it ready for SEC play. But that's still someone that knows how to find the football. And if you produce at any level of college football, I'll take you. Right. I don't care if you produced at FCS. I don't care if you produced at Kansas. I don't care where you produced at. If you produced, I'll take you. Because there's at least a track record of you being successful and you knowing to, what to, do, to do the right things. Now, the question is, athletically, can you meet the standard that's in the SEC? We'll have to wait and find out. But I do think there's a couple of players. There's some competition 
at that other safety spot alongside Smoke Monday. Tennyson spots up for grabs, I think. Yeah, so there's there's boundary safety, which is a, what I believe that Smoke will be playing, and then there's field safety slash nickel, which is what Tennyson was playing last season. I agree with you. You've got Bidarius Knighton and Donovan Kaufman, the redshirt freshman out of Vanderbilt, who could also be impactful in the return game as well for Auburn. We talked just, a, uh, I think it was on Friday, about how we didn't know what Auburn's options even were uh, in the special teams. And now we're starting to see maybe some potential names emerge for Auburn. But yeah, I'm really high on Knighton. I'm really high on Kaufman. Zion Puckett, another guy that we could potentially see at that spot Mario as well. Harvey. Harvey is another guy that we you could see. didn't get him in the spring because he was hurt. So I think that set him back a little bit. But there's a chance there. And I don't want people to think that we're saying that Tennyson's not good or that he won't end up being the star. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I think there's real competition there because the other guys at that safety position are talented enough to push him. Yes. And he's trying to make a position switch as well from where he primarily played a true nickelback or third corner role in the previous defense. No, he's moving back to safety now. He's playing at the third level. But the question is, does that switch and the fact that there are two other true safeties moving into the program in Knighton and then Kaufman is there enough competition there to maybe push him out of that starting role? I like Auburn's safety position a lot for the future. I know Knighton will only be here for one year, but I like Kaufman a lot. I like Harvey a lot. I like Ladarius Tennyson a lot. I think there's a lot of talent there for the future, and I think all of those guys are going to get on the field, and that's only a good thing. Exactly. And the same for Johnson. I think Johnson's going to get on the field this year a lot too. Yeah, I think having competition at this spot is really, really healthy, and whoever emerges is going to be Auburn's best guy, and to know that we have quality depth behind them in case things go wrong, you know, that's great. I want to go back to his questions about the 3-4 because I didn't get to totally go into as much detail as I wanted to on why I think that this is – a good thing for Auburn mm-hmm. first of all I did say a lot of the best defenses in our league and in the country are running this multiple three four lug and once again I want to harp on this for people just because Auburn is moving to a three four defense does not mean that Auburn will be glued down to it in every single game forget about how the old coaching staff operated this coaching staff is a lot more multiple on both sides of the ball and it's going to make opposing teams prepare for many different things and many different looks and just examining the defensive side of the ball for Auburn Auburn primarily ran the nickel last year was in the 4-2-5 they rarely ever put three linebackers on the field and it was a huge detriment to Auburn's ability to stop the run because in today's day and age of college football look around most teams will have a tight end on the field more than half the time that they step into any formation in college football what that causes an issue of now is that there are six potential blockers in the tackle box when you're counting up numbers for which side that you're running the football to. There's a lot of zone blocking schemes. Of course, whether it's zone or power, you're able to get numbers mismatches when you have six guys in the tackle box ready to block for you versus the nickel where you only have four down linemen and then two linebackers. In a zone blocking scheme, this is exactly how to do it. Cut the field in half where the center position is. The center is counted as a blocker in the tackle box, whichever side of the field that the ball is being ran to. So say you're moving the ball to the right side of the field. Say that there's a designed run to the right side. You're running a zone blocking scheme. The amount of blockers, say the tight end's on the right side of the line as well, and he's attached to the line. The amount of blockers that you have on the right side of the field, you have the center, you have the right guard, you have the right tackle, and you have the tight end. So you got four blockers in the tackle box on that right side of the offensive line. In the 4-2-5, the most that you are going to have on either side of the tackle box when you cut the field in half with the center position is three because you're going to have two down linemen 
a defensive tackle and a defensive end, mm-hmm. whether you stand up or hand in the dirt, and you're going to have one linebacker. Yep. And that happened to Auburn a ton last year, and infuriating him out. I encourage you all, if you can stomach it, go back and watch the bowl game from two years ago against Minnesota. Minnesota ran all over Auburn, and Auburn was in the nickel and wouldn't get out of it. And then guess what? Auburn had to come up to stop the run, and then they torched him over the air. That's exactly what happened. Kentucky did it a lot in the first half. Auburn made some adjustments in the second half, though, and were able to come back and stop the run in that one. But Auburn... Did not get out of the nickel last year, and it killed them because they didn't have guys like Derrick Brown and Marlon Davidson anymore who could take up multiple linemen were that good. Auburn did not have that last year. They still have good linemen, but just not human being wreckers. They don't have wrecking balls on the defensive line. They don't have guys who are just going to burst into the backfield and wreak havoc. They can't throw linemen into quarterbacks anymore and get sacks that way, right? Like That was not a thing last year, and I think they've got good linemen this year but I'm excited about the 3-4 shift because it's going to accentuate the skill set of the linebackers in this system. It's going to move guys inside. All I need from this defensive line now is that they don't get pushed around. And when you've got some big guys on this line. you got guys that are over 300 pounds on this line now. you got J.J. Pegues. you got Tony Fair. If Truesdale's still with the program, you got Truesdale. You've got some bigger linemen that are set for this. And your defensive end slash defensive tackle in the 3-4, I'm not talking about nose tackle, I'm talking about your two guys that are outside of nose tackle, those guys need to hover around 280. And there are a lot of guys in this system that hover around 280. Zykevis Walker, Marcus Harris, Colby Wooden's a little bit more on the smaller side, but he plays a lot bigger than he is. I like that Auburn's moving these guys in the interior because I think it's going to allow them to be able to plug some of these gaps up front where they were originally getting gashed. And then these linebackers that had 200-plus tackles last year are going to be able to go and step up and fill in the gaps and do what they do best, which is go and hit somebody in the mouth and knock the football out, knock their head off in the tackle box and go and get some tackles. This is the perfect system to help Auburn stop the run. What really concerns me, and, and maybe it shouldn't be a concern, but all I'm worried about, and just because Auburn wasn't great at completing sacks last year, is the pass rush. Auburn desperately needs somebody at one of those edge positions. And Derek Hall's got a lot of buzz about him. And then you brought in Eku Leota as well. You've got several dudes that could step up at that outside linebacker spot and go and get some sags. And you talk about how much Derek Mason blitzed last year. He was top 25 in the country and blitzes last year called at Vanderbilt. Auburn's going to come after the quarterback. I just hope that they can go and actually complete the sacks because they didn't do a good job of that last year. You look at SEC StatCat, which is absolutely fantastic. If you want to just take a deep dive into some really detailed numbers, you look at Auburn's sack rate, which is the percentage, the amount of the percentage of times that Auburn got to the quarterback and sacked the quarterback whenever the quarterback was dropping back to pass. They were actually fourth best in the SEC last season, but you look at their pressure rate. The amount of times that they put pressure on the quarterback percentage-wise whenever the quarterback dropped back to pass was fourth worst in the SEC. When they got to the quarterback, they got to the quarterback. But the majority of the time, they didn't end up getting there. Period. You look at two other teams in the conference that do run the 3-4, and I believe Georgia runs a mix of the 3-4 and the 4-2-5, and I believe Alabama runs a mix of the 3-4 and the 3-3-5. And both of those teams, you look at sack rate for Alabama, best in the SEC last season, pressure rate was was fourth best in the SEC as well. It's like it, it, the, these other really talented teams are running the three four. And now they got a lot some of different dudes in those programs. Yeah, of course. I was about to say recruiting wise, Auburn's going to need to step it up. But you see, it works at a high level. It does. And one other thing that I want to add about this, and, and I, I agree with Shedrick's call. That's a great question to ask. I'm glad he asked it. Not only for content purposes, because I love to dive into talking X's and O's of football. And this is a great topic for this Auburn football team, because how often do you get to see a whole-scale scheme shift? 
So I love the question. Shedrick, please keep bringing it, man. Keep calling it. 334-321-1390. But something else that I want to point out. In the press release, when Nick Eason was hired on def- as defensive line coach, in the press release, they made sure to notify everyone that he helped the Tennessee Titans move from a 4-3 to a 3-4 front when he was hired there. So he's done this before, and he's done it at the NFL, and the Titans have had one of the better defenses in the Mm -hmm. NFL, at least at different intervals. But when he was there, they had a solid defensive line, and he helped develop some really solid NFL defensive linemen that were Pro Bowl caliber. So I like that. I think they've got the right man for the job to make this move. Georgia, fifth best sack rate in the SEC. Their pressure rate, best in the SEC by a mile. 28% of the time they were putting pressure on the quarterback. The 3-4 works at the, high, at, at, at the highest level. If Auburn can recruit better, they'll be right up there with Georgia and Bama. And once again, I have to make sure that people know this. Don't think that Auburn's just going to be glued down to this. There's some NFL scheme things. That's not the most intelligent way for me to put it, but there's some NFL schemes that Auburn's going to be able to put on the field this year things that we haven't seen Auburn do before like a two four five it's kind of like a modified nickel you're still able to get your five defensive backs on the field for pass coverage purposes it, it is a three four look but you have two stand-up outside linebackers two stand-up edge guys and, and we're doing this preseason depth chart series and we haven't gotten to edge yet I think you could see in some games two edge players for Auburn where Auburn's trying to generate different pass rush packages. You've got two interior linemen that are also pass rushers themselves. Maybe Colby Wooden lines up on the inside and then whoever else that they want to insert on the inside that maybe has emerged as one of their better pass rushers, whoever it ends up being. Maybe it's a J.J. Pegues because let's say he emerges as a wrecker and I like his slimmer skill set at that defensive tackle spot maybe compared to some other guys like Burks or Tony Fair, players like that. If you're trying to generate a pass rush, you want quicker guys even in the interior. And then you got two stand-up outside linebackers, say it's Eku Leota, Derek Hall, or T.D. Moultrie, any combination of those guys. Now all of a sudden you've got four guys that are pass rushing on the line. You still have got two guys at the linebacker spots that you feel comfortable with to stop, to run stop, or to be able to drop back into pass coverage, just like Owen Papo. Jacoby McClain still needs to come around a little bit on pass coverage. But nonetheless, I like Owen Papo a lot in pass coverage and his versatility and his speed. And then you still have five defensive backs on the field. So you're able to get that pass rush without giving up a whole lot in terms of run stopping and, and, and pass coverage at your linebacker spot. So I'm, ex- I'm excited. Auburn's going to be versatile on defense. There's a lot to look forward to. Wrapping up the first hour of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Keep them rolling in. We've had some great questions. Shedrick, Joey, Shadow called in as well. Really solid show today so far. I'm enjoying it a lot. Keep the calls coming as we head to that second hour in just a couple of minutes. 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Also, I want to encourage everybody, keep up with all the content the show puts out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's Radio Alabama Sports dot net you go and check out some of the press conferences as well we're going to make sure we get video of that uh, of those press conferences today you had mike bobo you had Derek mason as well today at the podium we're going to make sure we have some of that up at radioalabamasports.net later on today when we get off air you actually had an interesting quote from one of those press conferences 
Yeah, so which, uh, Mike Bobo was talking just recently about Bo, Bo Nix and his development, and Bobo had a lot of good things to say about Nix. He said to me with Bo, it's doing the little things over and over and over, and I'm talking about his fundamentals. He had a really good day on day three. Uh, Bobo said he thought Nix was sharp and thought he was fundamentally sound. He was on balance in the pocket when he threw, and he finished on balance. That's what. That's a lot of what we've been talking about with him, is just being on balance and getting his feet in the ground. You're going to be more consistent throwing the ball, just becoming a more consistent pass to me it's his fundamentals that we talk about every single day so yeah and and you go and you watch quarterback film on youtube you watch these different youtubers break bo nicks down and something that that i've heard a lot a term that i've heard thrown around is keeping both your cleats in the ground whenever you go to throw you set and throw you're balanced and you have both your feet in the ground doesn't do that a whole lot he clicks his heels and he's he's moving around he's bouncing around he's not getting his himself set so to hear that from Bobo, I think is really important, especially from a, from a mechanical standpoint, for Nick's to start getting some of those things, re- doing them over and over repetitively is going to help him moving forward. Some positive quotes from Auburn defensive coordinator Derek Mason as well about this defensive line. We'll touch on that in hour number two. Also, we said that we were going to do this on Friday. We ran out of time. We're going to rank all 14 SEC defenses. You're listening to On the Line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. 98.3 FM, up that 280 corridor all the way to South Birmingham here in Montgomery as well. We're all over the place. Calls are rolling in, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. If you missed any of the show so far and you want to go and check out that absolute bomb of a first hour, Go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, whatever you've got, we'll be there. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. That's how you can find the On The Line podcast. Phone line's still open. Any questions you got for us, hit us up. We've heard from Shadow, Joey, Shedrick today. Had a great lineup of calls so far. Keep them coming here in hour number two because that first hour, it just absolutely blew by. Now the rain's coming in here in Auburn. It's a summer shower. Lance, it's been a good show so far. It's been a really good show so far. Really appreciate the calls. A lot of interesting questions, a lot of interesting thoughts. Again, would love to hear more from y'all. We have to wrap up our preseason depth chart series on the defensive line. You and I have had some disagreement on defensive end, nose tackle, and defensive tackle. We had disagreement on only one of those positions as a starter, which was at defensive tackle. So let's briefly run through this, who we've got as starters so far. You and I both have Colby Wooden and Tony Ferris starters at defensive end and nose tackle, respectively. At defensive tackle, I've got Zykevis Walker. Remind me who you have at defensive tackle again. I had Burks, but I said that I could see a rotation of either Walker, Burks, Butler, or Pegues at that defensive line. It's the most interchangeable for me. 
top backups maybe to look at across this group lee hunter's a name that comes up a lot Mm -hmm. i think he's going to get some action at defensive tackle and at nose tackle i think that there now could be a surplus or not a surplus a uh a deficit of players excuse me at nose tackle you need some guys there's there's a surplus of open spots now at nose tackle so that's going to provide some opportunity possibly for lee hunter still has to get acclimated to the college game as a freshman of course J.J. Pegues is another name that I think could play defensive tackle or defensive end. I think he's capable. It depends on the look that Auburn wants to provide. Let's get away from those positions and out to the stand-up edge spot. Before we go into this, though, I want to say this. I think you could see some fronts where there are traditionally, like when you're looking at a 3-4 or maybe this is a 2-4-5 look, whatever it may be, I think there could be two stand-up edge guys that could be pass rushers. Yep. So with that being said... I didn't look at this as two different edge spots, left and right. I didn't do that. I just said edge, and then I ranked the edge guys. Yep. So that's how I looked at it. Top edge guy, Derek Hall. Yep, I I completely agree with you. Derek Hall is my number one guy as well. And follow Justin Ferguson on Twitter, at JFergusonAU. He had a tweet from Derek Mason at the podium today, Auburn defense coordinator Derek Mason. Derek Hall's just been fantastic. That was said today absolutely let's get it i th- th- see this has been probably one of my biggest complaints on this show is Auburn not having edge guys that can be consistent and i talked about the numbers in the first half of the show Auburn really didn't get to the quarterback often at all last season when they did they were able to bring him down but it was very very rarely that they were actually able to to, to drum up some pressure i really want to see more out of Derek hall and a couple other guys that we'll get to on this list and then also some transfers potentially that may be in the mix Derek Hall came on strong at the end of last season and that's the time that you you I hope you wished he came on strong because that would be against teams like Alabama Texas A&M Mississippi State Tennessee some of Auburn's better competition on that schedule with the exception of course of Tennessee and Mississippi State but still you had Alabama Texas A&M thrown in that mix LSU finished five and five compared to the first half of the schedule where majority of those teams had losing records at the end of the year Derek Hall came on strong at the end of the year and he finished with a total of 21 tackles three and a half sacks I believe he does not Colby Wooden and Owen Papo are the two guys that are the leading returners in sacks but he's only half a sack off Derek Hall was right there in that mix he had no like true tackles for loss like run stop tackles for loss but he once again had three and a half sacks he also got in there according to Phil Steele with two quarterback hurries I'm sure that was a little bit more than that that's just such an arbitrary stat but Derek Hall came on strong at the end of last season and I think it's no surprise with the spring that we saw him have he really I think locked down his spot back in the spring and now you see him continue to build off of it here in the fall Derek Hall is going to be a playmaker this year in the SEC and possibly Auburn's first return to a true stand-up pass rusher since like what Jeff Holland back in like 2017 it's been a little while moving down that list who's next who do you rank as second at edge this one I I had a tough time with I'm gonna go with TD Moultrie as my number two guy Um, even though I do like some of the other guys that I I have on this list to potentially maybe break out but uh, this could be like a second edge starter for Auburn once again I go back to that you could see two edge players on the field at the same time I don't think that will happen often but in certain pass rushing situations you will see two guys on the field that are pass rushers and that's where you call this up so these would technically be your your primary starter and then maybe the next guy up on the field I went with T.D. Moultrie as well for his experience but he has been super underwhelming up to this point and there was a lot of love for Eku Leota when he committed all that's dissipated now is that because 
he wasn't here in the spring and he wasn't here in the spring of course because he was finishing up stuff at Northwestern and he was a transfer so he couldn't be here in the spring is that because we just haven't gotten to see him yet you know and then you have a long summer and you quit talking about a guy there's been other players that have transferred in probably but and it is early I have to remind everybody this is only the second weekday of fall camp so pump the brakes a little bit Ekuliota's third on my list I'm sure he's third on yours he is third on my list yeah I agree with you he wasn't he wasn't the most whenever he transferred in and you and I were talking about him earlier this summer we were comparing him to a guy that Auburn had in the past that transferred in from the Big Ten, TJ Neal, former Illinois linebacker. And we were saying we just hope we don't see that happen again as the, as the summer has gone on. By I, that we mean being unproductive. Unproductive, yeah. It, I, I hope we don't see that situation where we bring in a Big Ten player and he, he just doesn't produce. I don't think that will be the case for Leota. Year one, I don't think he's going to be asked to do much. I think he's going to be that second or third guy on the depth chart. So I think he'll produce to that to his ability uh, given the playing time that he gets. But next season, he very well could be because yeah. T.D. Moultrie will be on his way out. Yeah. T.D. Moultrie's last year. Derek Hall's draft eligible as well. Derek Hall, a sophomore on the roster, but he could go to the draft, I believe. I think this is his third year in school, not his second. So Derek Hall potentially could be draft el- eligible also. Check me on that. Can you go and check on that? Just I, I want to make sure I'm right before I go and say. I believe that. he's a junior. Yep. On Phil Still, they've got him listed as a sophomore because that may be you know this may be his like third year. COVID messed everything up, but I think this is his third year in Auburn the program. Has, yeah, Auburn has him listed as a junior. Yeah, or the, so, the website does rather. That's so interesting how some programs choose to say that a guy you know took that di- didn't take that year, and other guys you know like like Auburn is one of the programs that basically attributed last year that it happened mm-hmm. other programs just say oh no they're a sophomore you know but Auburn will, will advance them a year so that, I I thought he was listed as a junior on their website so, but then I looked at Phil Still I was like it says he's a sophomore what does that mean yeah so he's draft eligible I think you could see him take to the next level if he does really really well but another year could do him when was the last time that Auburn like stand-up edge guy like Jeff Holland wasn't a high draft pick He's, he's kind of in and out of the league still, you know, off in and off of practice squads and whatnot. I think he recently got picked up for someone for training camp. I think he is back on a team right now, but Auburn hasn't really had like someone like true stand up, just like shock the world or, or not shock the world, but like get major NFL attention. Derek Hall, I think it will be right now, draft stocks in a, like non existent. Yeah. So I think another two years for Derek Hall could doing well but uh jeff holland is currently on the atlanta falcons practice squad that's right there well, you good go for him. maybe he'll make this maybe maybe he'll make the roster yeah they need help they're pretty bad <laughs> all right echo leota third on that spot fourth i go with romello height okay i'm not mad at that i'm There's not mad. some buzz there that i i'm i'm not mad at that at all i've got dylan brooks as my number four guy because i'm with it everybody's been talking about this kid i believe he was auburn's best recruit in last year's class the highest rated recruit rather uh, I've got a lot of got of really positive things that I, I said about him. I write for Auburn Wire. I wrote an article at him, uh, on him. I've, I see a lot of potential in this kid. And you talk about edge rushers that Auburn needs. As as the guy fourth string on the depth chart, I'm not saying he's going to be crazy productive. I'm just saying I think we should be watching this guy's development intently. I went with Romello Hyde because he's been in the program for longer. Of course. Dylan Brooks wasn't even here for the spring. I, t- I typically value that guys are further along, but that's not to say that by the end of the year, Dylan Brooks doesn't begin to climb the depth chart and find some opportunity. Maybe somebody gets hurt or something like that. He was next up on my chart at fifth at the edge spot, but I like Romello Hyde a little bit more. His combination between speed, size, height, and that's not a pun. He, he may have the last name of Hyde and he may be tall, but 
He's a, he, he's an athletic. He's one of Auburn's more athletic guys on this defensive line. So I'm excited about the potential of Romello Hyde, but will it actually come to fruition in terms of playing time? That all remains to be seen. Now that we've wrapped up the preseason depth chart on the defensive line, I will say this. It was extremely difficult to figure this out after the starting spots. I think the starting spots, they look they look pretty solid at the moment. I think when you take a look at it, I think Derek Hall is going to be standing up on the edge. Wooden's going to be at defensive end. Nose tackle is Tony Fair. There's a position battle at defensive tackle. Anybody could step in. It could be Pegues. It could be Zykevis Walker. It could be Lee Hunter. You could see any guys at that spot. Marquise Burks, I know, is somebody that you had. Dre Butler as well. I mean, there's a lot of guys that could play defensive tackle for Auburn this upcoming year. But it was the backups that I had a hard time figuring out. Yeah, and I'll say this about Romel Height. The re- the only reason, again, he's been in the program for quite some time. The only reason that I had him fifth under Dylan Brooks, even though he does have uh, a, a more experience than Brooks, is that he he seems a little undersized. He was si- he's listed at six three two fourteen on Auburn's website. That's pass rush outside linebacker written all over it. And right. local product Mahmoud Diabate out of Auburn High School. Now, of course, he's been with the Florida Gators for several years now, going into uh, his either his third or fourth year at Florida. He was about that size coming out of high school, too. He was pretty small. I mean, maybe at, at the at the most, he would have been like 225, right. which is only 10 more pounds, which can't make a difference, but still. I'm just type on Brooks, who Auburn has listed at 6'5", 250. Yeah. And like, he doesn't really look it. He's, he's, a, little, he's a little slimmer than – I'm a little yeah. shocked that he's at 250 at least they say they yeah. also have one of Auburn's offensive tackles listed like six eight even though every other source has him like six seven six six but before we go to break overall opinion of this defensive line um I think this unit has potential uh we've talked about Auburn's inability to get to the quarterback and have a true stand-up pass rusher will we find that this season I think Auburn definitely has some options at that at that spot uh I think they're going to do a little bit of rotating early on in the season uh, outside of like the starters outside of Hall I think they are going to kind of kind of mess around with the line I think Mar- Mason's going to shift some guys in and out just to figure out who fills that two spot who fills it well um yeah I'm not really concerned with nose tackle I do really like what I see with Tony Fair if Truesdale comes back that's even better I think Lee Hunter's also going to be uh, a factor not just at nose tackle but like you said you've got him at defensive tackle I believe at that se- at that second spot Zykevius Walker is another guy to look at there's potential written all over this defensive line we just need to see those guys actually go out there and produce and there's some good youth too and there's stuff to build on building blocks to add to that there's some good young guys that will get on the field this year maybe not in prominent roles but will be in prominent roles in the future but there's opportunity for them to get on the field this year and get some snaps under their belt which will help them down the line and will help this help there be some continuity in this defensive line for years to come and that's something else that I think Auburn's got going their way this year though talk about Derek Hall Colby Wooden Zykevis Walker these are all guys that played last year mm-hmm. These are all guys that saw significant snaps. Now they just need to build on it and be better. Question to you. Go for it. Most valuable player on this defensive line? Derek Hall. Not even close. I agree. I didn't have to think about it too hard. Uh, Colby Wooden would be my next one. Maybe a 1B there. Those are the two guys that come to mind immediately is Derek Hall and then 1B, I would say Colby Wooden. My only reasoning for that, I think that the way that folks have been talking about Derek Hall, maybe they're sizing this guy up to go and make a serious impact and maybe him move, moving to this true stand-up outside linebacker role, and I think it's going to be his spot. Maybe this switch for him and this scheme, maybe it allows him to just go and do what he does best, which is pin his ears back, play like his head's on fire, and go and get after the quarterback. Yeah, again, you look at his numbers from last season. He only had three and a half sacks over the course of the 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 10 games. but It's tied for second on the team. To second, t- Exactly, tied for second on the team, and he had two in Auburn's last game. He was, he was really getting after it uh, as the season went on.
So I like him a lot. I think he's going to be the most impactful because Auburn needs more sacks. But Colby Wooden, though, I, I talk about guys that have, were good at getting after the, the passer last year. He is in the team lead with four sacks. So Colby Wooden still fills that. I'm curious if the move to the 3-4 system limits that maybe a little bit more. Maybe we see less of those tackles for loss, less of those sacks for Colby Wooden this year because he's moving into the interior and his job's a tad bit different. It's more about holding the point of attack rather than bursting into the backfield and, and getting after the quarterback. That's a little bit more reserved for guys who are pass rushers. So I'm curious to see if we see a similar type of year where it's only like four sacks, five and a half tackles for loss, something like that, which was his numbers last year, or if we, maybe we see a little bit of a dip. I don't think that we see a huge dramatic increase in Colby Wooden's numbers just because of the job that he's going to be asked to do. Whereas Derek Hall, I think you could see a big jump. So there's a lot to like with this defense line. There's potential, and uh, I, th- I think the shift to the 3-4 is going to help make him better. I agree. Let's head to a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook, that's Fox Sports 983com Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line, at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind in the sports world. We've had a lot of great Auburn questions today. Hit us up with more. 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Or Alabama, Georgia questions as well. We've had quite a few Alabama, Georgia folks call into the show over the time that we've been doing it. I think it would be uh, – I'd love for uh, for some other folks from fan bases to, uh, to hit us up and ask us about their teams as well. We'd love to talk about all the SEC yeah, absolutely, and I think just here in a minute we're going to break down our, our SEC defenses and we're going to be talking about Bama and Georgia quite a bit. So It's going to take us a little bit to get to Bama and Georgia, though, and my reasoning for that is we're going to start at 14th in the SEC. I was about to say, it's because we got them 13th and 14th, baby. <laughs> we ranked all 14 SEC defenses, just like we ranked all 14 SEC offenses about a month ago. Now we're looking at these defenses. There's been a lot to come out, a lot to talk about since that point, and so now we're finally getting to the defensive side of things. And at 14 on the list, all that I have written under this team at the bottom is ditto, Vanderbilt, 14, ditto. <laughs> yeah, they, they, were, uh, they were not very good last season. I have them at 14th as well. They were last in the SEC in opponent yards per play. They were last in the SEC in opponent yards per run. They were last in the SEC in defensive success rate, which means, uh, I believe it means stopping a play like three yards or less I believe that's a defensive that's defensive success depending on what down it is they were not they were not good last year they allowed a lot of explosive plays as well Uh, the total of explosive plays that they allowed was third worst in the SEC last season all these numbers by the way I'm looking at SEC stat cat the percentage of plays that that uh, the opponent had that were explosive 16% 16% of the time an, op- an opponent had an explosive play and that I believe that means a play that was 15 yards or more for Vanderbilt that was worst in the SEC so they gave up a lot of yards they gave up a lot of yards per play they were not they were not a, they were not a sound defense at all last season they lose two of their excuse me they only returned two yeah that's a big difference there they returned two of their 11 and a half sacks last year mm. brutal that's tough <laughs> brutal take that back they returned sorry math was wrong one and a half 
or no, two and a half. Yeah, two and a half of their sacks from last year come back. Yeah, and their sack rate was fourth worst in the SEC last season. How was it only fourth worst? Well, there are some other teams that had had a very difficult time getting to the quarterback. With that thing, with, with, with that being said, positive thing to spend here for Vanderbilt. And I, I don't think they get out of that seller spot at the SEC, but they do bring in defensive coordinator Clark Lee from Notre Dame to be their head coach. So will that help a defense that brings back eight starters? Will that help an offense that brings back nine starters? This is an experienced Vanderbilt team to finally get out of the cellar. I'm going to say no. I do have them picked to finish seventh in the SEC East and dead last in the entire conference. But moving on, another team from the SEC East. I've got South Carolina at 13. You have Ole Miss at 13. Tell me about why Ole Miss is the second worst defense in this conference. I've got three reasons for you right here. I like it. It's like a sermon. Bring it on. <laughs> opponent yards per game. Ole Miss allowed 537 opponent yards per game. That was worse than the SEC. Total pass yards per game was also worse than the SEC. Total rushing yards per game was also worse in the SEC. That's all you need to know. That is all you need to know. Regardless of returning production, this Ole Miss defense, I don't think, is going to be get, to get much better than second worst in the SEC because a lot of people last year – we're talking about this Ole Miss defense improving, and they were not the worst in the SEC, I believe, in 2019. They were one of the worst, but everybody said, oh, yeah, they can make a little bit of an adjustment. They can make a little bit of an improvement. Statistically, they only gave up 26.5 points per game. That's their best mark since 2015 when they only gave up 22.6. But so. they bled. Yeah, They bled, and that is what I keep coming back to. Ole Miss, I've got them at 12. My reasoning for them being above South Carolina, and I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about these bad teams. Ole Miss's defense will be marginally better this year. They will not give up 38.3 points allowed per game. Will they still give up more than 30? Yes. Even if they improve by a touchdown, they will give up 31 points a game. Wait, right? How many How many points a game did you say they gave up? Uh, Gave up over 38 last okay, year. Okay, I'm sorry. You said 26, and I was confused. No, that, that was back for, in 2019. 20, 2019, okay. Yeah, back in 2019, they gave up 26 and a half. Last year, they gave up nearly 520 yards of offense per game. Right, right. 38.3. Even if they improve by a touchdown, they're still giving up 31, which is horrible. Even if they, you know, shave off 50 yards a game, they're still giving up 469 yards a game that's still not good either you know i mean these these are not good defenses you know so even if they improve by a substantial margin it's still a terrible defense and should be ranked this low my reasoning for them getting better they got nine guys coming back a little bit more experienced it's year two for this entire coaching staff it's got to mean something right it's got to mean something so i think they get a little bit better south carolina on the other hand they had nothing on that defense last year that I really think that you can conclude as a top half unit in the SEC six guys only come back on that defense they lose their top two tacklers after that they bring three of their top five back but they do lose their top two tacklers they lose the on total they bring back only three of their top eight tacklers Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of experience at the top end of the productivity of this defense coming back so I'm I'm down on South Carolina. They also bring in an offensive coach. I'm expecting this defense to still maybe get a little bit better because they're not going to. I don't. I have a hard time believing that someone in back-to-back years will give up 36 points per game. But you know, there'll still be a bad defense. So moving out of that group, we both have Tennessee at 11. 
or do you have Tennessee up a little bit higher? I have Tennessee at 11. All right, talk to me about the Tennessee defense a little bit. Is it is it getting better from last year with it at being at 11, or is it still going to be about the same? I think it's going to be. I think it is going to be somewhere about the same. It might improve just slightly, but I don't think it's going to be anything too serious. They only bring back uh, five starters off that unit. I believe I might be wrong on that. They were really, really bad in pass defense last year. They were okay in run defense, but year one, I think Heupel, as an offensive-minded coach, is going to be focused more on that and more on scoring points, and I think we're going to see a lot of fun Tennessee ball games this year because I think it's going to be very similar to what Ole Miss has done in the past. We're going to see Tennessee try and score some points, but they're not going to be able to really hold a lot of people back. I'm not saying it's going to be terrible like Ole Miss or Vanderbilt, but it's not going to be good. Tennessee at 11 for me as well look the defensive line puts this team in a position to stop the run well I actually think that this is like a top five top six defensive line in the SEC they only allowed 3.7 yards per carry last season their pass rush wasn't great wasn't horrible either they averaged two sacks per game last season it's about middle of the pack last year in the SEC it's not horrible but the secondary is one of the worst in the SEC allowing opposing quarterbacks to complete 68.2% of their passes. That is bad. I want to add on to that. Tennessee's, specifically in the SEC, and obviously all they did was play SEC play last year, their their yards per run that they allowed was third best in the SEC. The only two teams that were better than them were Alabama and Georgia. Their pass yards allowed per completion was fourth worst in the SEC. So it's definitely two tails of this defense, whether it was run stopping or pass coverage. One was good, one was bad. And this Tennessee team, I think you see that again. They've established that defensive line over the years. 4.1 yards per carry in 2018, 3.7 in 2019, 3.7 in 2020. I think the defensive line is as good as advertised. I don't think the back end is. So that's going to hold them back a little bit. I think you see the num- the, them stay about the same at 30.1 points allowed per game. Maybe it drops a little bit, but this offense, that's the, where the real issues lie. They haven't scored more than 24.2 points per game since 2016. 19.8 in 2017, 22.8 in 2018, 24.2 points per game in 2019, and 21.5 last year. Tennessee offense has had a lot of issues. All right, let's move to the top 10. I think you and I had some disagreement here too, only a little bit. We only flip like one or two teams. Arkansas and Missouri I got Missouri at 10 you got Arkansas at 9 why do you like the Arkansas defense a little bit more than Missouri I have a uh, I have Missouri at 9 and Arkansas at 10 the My reason bad. the reason that I dislike this Arkansas defense is because I was actually doing a little bit of research on them today uh, excluding our topic just looking at some of the defensive numbers they allowed 5.1 yards per rush attempt last season I was and then they, they allowed 192 yards per game that was 12th in the SEC that was 92nd nationally you look at their linebacker play and sure a lot of people think those guys are awesome they had over 100 tackles last season both Grant Morgan and Bumper Pool but I believe it was a result of bad defensive line play on average Arkansas opponents were gaining between 7 and 10 yards per play 11.8 percent of the time that was the worst mark in the SEC the reason that these linebackers got so many tackles is because Arkansas couldn't keep gains within the first level of the defense on the flip side, Arkansas also didn't allow much past the second level. They were second in the SEC in yards allowed per pass attempt, only behind Alabama. That linebacker group is still overrated in my mind until proven otherwise because, again, the defensive line was horrendous. The, the pass unit allowed 259.6 passing yards per game. That was only ninth in the SEC, but it was 102nd nationally. You go back and look at their man-to-man against zone situations. They really struggled in one-on-one matchups. 
they need to improve on that in order in order for them to be a better better defense as a whole but again it starts and ends with that defensive line and they do bring back I believe it's eight or nine starters on that defense I just don't know if Arkansas is going to be able to get it done they forced a lot of turnovers last year and part of that skewed by the Ole Miss game when Matt Corral threw six picks against them so I kind of like the big playability on the back end but you're right on the down-to-down average play for Arkansas last year they ooze yardage like they come in wounded they enter ball games already bleeding like that is just and that's the reality of the Arkansas defense so I maybe you've swayed me a little bit why do you like Missouri more than Arkansas you look at the the numbers on SEC stat cat their opponent yards per play is actually better than Missouri's by a couple of spots and so you look at the production that Missouri's returning six starters not terrible not bad I just trust Missouri's talent level and I think they're just going to be a little bit better this season We'll get inside the top eight. There's better defenses, I promise. We'll be back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. And joining us on the phone lines now, we got Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net with us here on for the Monday edition of the show. Jeremy, how you doing today, my man? Doing well, guys. How about y'all? We're doing awesome. And, you know, it's the second weekday of fall camp, and I guess it would be the first weekday, or maybe, no, Alabama started last Friday as well. You didn't start getting media availability trickling in until the weekend. But Alabama, some high praise today from Bill O'Brien, to some of those former coaches that have been looking after Bryce Young. He had something interesting to say, a takeaway. He was asked about Bryce Young up to this point. He said he's very well coached among all of these other quarterbacks. Examine this quarterback position for us at Alabama. Is there going to be any major step back here, or is Bryce Young ready to go? I'm not going to say that the there, but expectation is that Mac Jones is going to be a, uh, a really, really good quarterback, and um, I think the expectation for a lot of people is that Alabama could have uh, three consecutive starting quarterbacks um, go very quickly in NFL draft. Now, Bryce Young can't go this year, this coming draft, but after two years being starter at Alabama, there's a lot of people thinking that he could be one of the top quarterbacks off the board when, guess what, is at the 2023 draft. So, you know, Bryce Young, very good. I thought Bill O'Brien um, – I, you know, he has a lot of respect for Steve Sarkeesian and, and why not? He's walking into a, a situation where this offense was maybe the best college football has ever seen. Um, he knows the type of coach that Sarkeesian is. And uh, listen, Bryce Young has probably had some of the best coaches growing up. I mean, in high school, played one of the more dominant programs in, in the country, gets to Alabama, gets to be around Steve Sarkeesian. Um, and if you just look at the progression of Mac Jones, who – well, it was good, but last year as a starter, with uh, just the, all the work from Steve Sarkeesian under his belt, you kind of saw the progression of Mac Jones from earlier in his career to what he was able to do. Um, so, you know, Bryce Young, his expectations, I think, are just going to be to keep this thing. And Mac Jones did under under Sarkeesian. Listen, it's okay to take that easy throw. You know, if the, if the deep one's there to take it, but Mac Jones didn't make a lot of mistakes last year. And if you don't make a lot of mistakes – at Alabama, you're putting your team in a position to win a national title, and that's where Alabama wants to be in January. Is there more or less for Bryce Young to do 
in order for Alabama to win a national championship compared to his predecessors while he loses a lot on offense which make which may make one think that the quarterback's going to have to take a larger role in helping Alabama to a national championship this year than maybe some of the previous quarterbacks had to but on the flip side the defense brings back so much and this may be the best Alabama defense that we've seen in a couple of years at least the best Alabama defense we've seen under Pete Golding so is there more for Bryce Young to do in order to win a national championship or less Oh, I don't know. I I think that Mac Jones had to do a lot last year. Now, Sark, once again, made it really easy for him. I expect the same type of thing from Bill O'Brien. You heard Nick Saban at Media Day saying that this isn't the Steve Sarkeesian system. This isn't the Brian Dable um, system. This is the Alabama system, and this is what we are doing as an offense. This is our philosophy, and while there will be some new wrinkles inserted from every coach that comes through, this is the offense that we're running I think Bryce Young, uh, I think Bill O'Brien's going to try to make it as easy as possible for him. But, man, Matt Jones had to do a lot last year, especially early. I mean, Alabama's defense in the first half against Georgia was getting lit up by Stetson Bennett. You think back to that old Miss game, I think Matt Jones had to leave five, five consecutive touchdown drives at one point in that game just to stay on pace with Ole Miss before Ole Miss made a couple mistakes and had to punt. And I think went forward on a fourth down and wasn't able to get it, so Alabama gets a 10-plus point victory. But – Mac Jones had to do a lot last year, especially early on in the season when that defense came around. I think the quality of Alabama's defense, especially at the linebacker position, is going to make Bryce Young's job maybe not easier, but it is going to take a little bit of the pressure off of it. Mac Jones and that Alabama offense last year early on, it looked like they may have to score 35 a game in conference um, to, to keep up with a lot of the better offenses in the league. Throughout the year, it got a little better. But I expect Bryce Young to... Um, to not have to go, especially early in the year, deep in a lot of reads, depending on how you know he's grasped this Bill O'Brien system since he became the OC. Um, I think Bryce Young, once you get middle of the season, he'll have a, bit, a great grasp on everything early in the year. He'll try to keep it simple. He's going to show you the arm talent. That's not going to be the problem. It's going to be catching up to the speed of it. D1 and SEC football. And I don't think it's going to take Bryce Young long to get there that he's going to have the support of a really good defense that's going to keep teams off the scoreboard. Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports here with us on the line. What's some of the latest coming out of Alabama's fall camp here early on? What, 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 with your ear to the ground, what are some of the things that you're hearing? Well, it's good to see Billingsley back at practice today. He was out on the field and practicing with the team. You know, you know things happen. Um, situations happen we're not we weren't really sure about billings all we heard was save and say he's essentially got to get his head in the game if he wants to be a part of this program and i think that when you hear nick save and say that especially to the media and you're a young kid you quickly realize that you might have to get things together because you don't get a lot of chances in life you think about all the players in this in the world that would die to play at alabama and he's sitting there with a golden opportunity to be a star tight end especially when you lose Devontae smith and jalen waddle you have a chance to be one of the go-to guys that they're throwing the ball to this year. I think Jaleel Billingsley's going to be just fine. High praise from Pete Golding on Henry Tuotoo, talking about he's the maybe the best transfer coming into Alabama that he has seen. And Pete Golding's been here for a little bit. He's also been other places, and he's just high praise for um, Tuotoo's leadership, his football IQ, and I, 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 it, it's hard to explain what type of difference maker that Henry Toto is going to make for Alabama. Dylan Moses played most of the year last year, I think with a torn meniscus or he had a knee injury. Production wasn't there. 
if Alabama can add, and it has added to Otolo right beside Chris Harris, uh, you know, I, I just think that Alabama's two middle linebackers are the best in the country. And you add the edge rush that they're going to have with Will Anderson and Chris Allen. It's just going to, it's going to be really, really hard as especially fall camp goes through and early on the next year to find me four better linebackers than what Alabama's going to put on the field, which I think is in turn going to make it a little easier for the secondary. It's going to take a little pressure off of defensive line as Phil Mathis, a few others, and LeBron Ray kind of dinged up right now again with a groin injury. Those linebackers are going to make everybody's job much, much easier. The Tide had nine offensive players drafted in the first round in the past two years, and obviously those guys kind of fueled two of the best offenses in program history. The last time the Crimson Tide didn't have a top-five statistical offense was in 2017. They won a national championship against Georgia, obviously, but their defense, 11.9 points per game, that was best in the entire country. Do we see collectively from Alabama just kind of a return to form? I'm not saying the offense is going to take a huge step back. I'm not saying it's going to be it's going to drop from 48 to 38 points a game, but do we see not do we see Alabama maybe take a little bit of a step back on the offensive side of the ball but take a really big step forward on the defensive side of the ball to get back to where they were just a few years ago yeah and you talk about last year's points per game and no shot at LSU from the year prior but Alabama didn't get to play some of the teams that LSU got to play and then pad those uh points per game stats a little bit and they were still able to outdo the Tigers but I could see this team being a 42 43 PPG team, but you talk about the defense. Well, it's never going to get back to 11.9 points per game, and I think 2011 they had like four consecutive shutouts. That that those days are over. Um, it's so easy to score a touchdown now. If you have a serviceable quarterback that can run the RPO well, it's going to be tough to to keep a team with any with with any type of life out there. If they have a pulse, you can score a couple touchdowns. You can kick a couple field goals. I can see this Alabama offense going back to 42, 43 a game. Um, obviously a little lower than they're playing really, really good defenses, but this Alabama defense, I think that the the line right now is probably you'd want to stay at, at three scores or under. I think Alabama would love to get around 17 and a half, 18 points per game on the defensive side. But I saw a lot of posts, you know, can Alabama, especially in the offseason, offseason talk, can Alabama get back to where it used to be? Alabama doesn't want – they would love to have, give up no points per game. Obviously, Nick Saban's a defensive guy, but they want to be the best in the league, and I think that's where you judge if you're the best is when you're looking at your peers. Can Alabama have the best defense in the SEC? In turn, if you have the best defense in the SEC, you probably have the best defense in college football, and that's right where Alabama wants to be, and it looks like they're probably going to have the best defense in the league. Taking a look at this Alabama schedule, prediction time for you. What are we going to learn about Alabama after that Miami game? What are we going to know? Well, you're, you're going to know De'Ara King is really good, and he's going to give a lot of uh, teams problems. But after that after that Miami game, uh, I don't know if you've ever been able to judge how good an Alabama team is going to be off that week one game. I mean, 2012 um, Michigan comes to mind. You knew Alabama was going to be really good. You weren't. You knew when they beat USC in Dallas a few years ago that they'd be good. You didn't know how good. I think, I don't know, I'm still not sure about the overall depth and quality of this Miami football team, but I'll tell you, after they go down to the swamp and they have a probably a two-touchdown-plus win over Florida, and, you know, Emory Jones, Greg McElroy saying he's maybe a contender for the Heisman, you could surprise a lot of people, but I think after Alabama beats Florida by a couple touchdowns in the swamp in week three, you're, you're really going to um, – 
put the college football world back on notice. Um, it's just going to be tough. It's tough for me to go up and down the schedule and find a loss. There's no Georgia on the schedule. Auburn's trying to bounce back and have a little bit better year under Brian Harson. A&M has their quarterback going to be. You look at LSU comes to Tuscaloosa. Tennessee's not there. I think Ole Miss is in Tuscaloosa. It's hard for me to find a regular season loss on that Alabama schedule. Well, tell me a little bit about those Auburn Tigers. What are you seeing from the cross-state rival and your opinion of them from the other side on enemy lines? Well, I think Brian Harson's I think he knows a lot about football. I think Brian Harson is another hard-nosed coach. People saying he's cut from the same cloth as Nick Saban. Yeah, maybe from a work ethic standpoint, but listen, there's only one Nick Saban. Um, I, I, it's gonna, that's like we've always talked about, guys. You just got to give it time. You got to give the recruiting time. This recruiting cycle and recruiting rankings to me right now mean absolutely nothing. Every time there's a new rankings drop, players are fluctuating by 100 different slots because nobody has any tape on last year's junior class, which is this year's senior class. They weren't able to go to camps last year. Scouts weren't out and about everywhere. I think by the time we get to December, I mean, your top 300 players could look drastically different. Maybe not the top 20, maybe not the five stars. Everybody knows who those guys are, but a guy like Antonio Kite who's playing at Aniston, he was like number 300 a couple weeks ago. Now he's jumped into the top 200. There could be a lot of those guys at Auburn's recruiting right now that could jump up those rankings, the same for Alabama and other teams. I just think Auburn, if they can win the close games, which they seem to always do under Gus Malzahn, 8-4, and 9-3, and three, and it's all going to start with the evolution of Bo Nix. I think Bo Nix is going to be much improved. He's going to have a better quarterback's coach, especially from a throwing perspective. I think the offense is going to be much more friendly to him with Mike Bobo. Um, it's just going to be, is he improved? I think everything around him from a coaching perspective, from him being a quarterback, is improved. And can Tank Bixby stay healthy? That's another key part. Everything around Bo Nix is going to be improved from play calling, coaching, but can it all come together on the field? We'll see. Jeremy, appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find your content. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at IMJ underscore law, and you can find all of Noah's content on RadioAlabamaSports.net. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you, man. That was Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net. We wrap up the show when we come back. Last segment of the Monday edition of On the Line. It's been a fun show today. Still got time to squeeze in a phone call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Thank you there to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for joining us in that previous segment. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron. Seven hours of local sports talk radio that's all on espn 106.7 find the website on espnau.com ranking these top 14 or all 14 sec defenses were ranked all 14 sec offenses and we're still going through the defenses we're going to narrow it down to our top five which we'll talk about tomorrow we got eight seven and six still on our list to go through here the only ones we disagree with here we're actually like in the same order the exact same teams with the exception of we flipped Kentucky and Florida here so I want to talk about each of these defenses you like Kentucky's more than Florida I like Florida's more than Kentucky let's break it down tell me about them Wildcats you got Kentucky as the eighth best defense amongst 2021 SEC defenses I have them as the seventh best I have Florida at the uh, you're you're good man you're good 
Um, the reason that I like Kentucky just a little bit better is because they were actually, I believe they were in the top five in total yards per game allowed last season. Points per game weren't half bad either. Points per game weren't half bad either. They were fourth in the SEC in yards allowed per play behind Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia. And I think those are really my two big reasons. And I've got a couple of issues with Florida simply because they were, I believe it was 100th nationally. Yeah, 100th nationally in passing yards allowed per game last season. I would like to see that step up. Their pass rush was pretty good. Statistically, they, they were not bad last season. It was in the, the top SEC. pass rush in the SEC tied with Alabama. They were, they were, and sacks. They were uh, fifth in the SEC in tackle for loss percentage. They were, they were third in the SEC in sack percentage. Uh, behind Alabama and Texas A&M, and they were sixth in the SEC in pressure rate. So they were actually able to get to the quarterback. That defensive line was not an issue. It's that secondary, and they only have one starter returning. So that is, that's my concern with Florida. Here's what I like about Florida. A, they recruit better than Kentucky. Kentucky, once again, that, like I think last year was like one of their peak defenses that they could put on paper. Of course, they had great ones in 2018 and 2019. Last year took up a bit of a step back. Everybody did. I think it had a lot to do with the coronavirus and knocking out spring and whatnot. Guys just were not ready to play last year, it seemed like, especially on defense. But Florida typically recruits much, 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 much better than Kentucky, right? And so I think the talent that's there on the defensive side of the ball for Florida, is it's there for them to take a huge uptick. Kentucky, on the other hand, I'm not sure if the talent is all there on defense with how much that they've got coming back. they got like five starters coming back on that side of the ball. With the way that they recruit, there's only so far that three stars can take you. At least there's a development curve, right? I'm not so certain that Kentucky will make this huge jump this year back to under 20 points allowed per game, which is where they were at in 2018 and 2019. I think they'll be a good defense still, but I'm not sure if it could take them much further past middle of the pack where their talent level is at. Only five guys coming back, pretty much the key guy for Kentucky coming back on that defense. Josh Pascal coming back, that's a solid get, and DeAndre Square also those two primary pass rushers and uh, sack artists and tacklers as well in that front seven coming back so I do like that Kentucky front seven I just still curious to see how much better they can be this year in terms of the ranking also didn't like how they were on the back end 66 percent opposing completion percentage for quarterbacks Florida was actually a little bit better for that and I think there's some talent in that back end like Kyir Elam's I, th- I think is a top quarterback in this SEC not the best quarterback but I think he's a top tier quarterback in the SEC also trading not half bad of a safety as well stepping into more of a starting role this year I like what some of the talent that they've got on the back end to improve what they did in the secondary but what I absolutely adore about this Florida team and you already hit the nail on the head with it is sack production 35 sacks tied for first in the league last year with Alabama that, that it, it and I think that they're very well going to do that again because you talk about the players coming back Ventrell Miller three and a half sacks Mahmoud Diabate coming back one and a half sacks those are their two top tacklers as well coming back Amari Bernie two sacks coming back Brenton Cox four sacks coming back Zach Carter five sacks coming back Chris Bogle four sacks coming back let's see yeah that that's like primarily all of their sacks are coming back they're only losing a handful of sacks they're losing like one one and a half here and there from some of these players their top sack getters are coming back on this Florida defense. So I'm expecting the pass rush to still be as good. They just have to improve in tightening up the things and run-stopping and pass coverage, and I think that happens. They're, they're talented. They, they just needed an offseason, I think, to put it back together. This Florida defense is not typically horrible. Look at the last seven years. Points allowed per game. Last year they had 30.8, but look at the years before that. 
15 and a half, 20, 27.3, 16.8, 18.3, 21.1. Last year was uncharacteristic. They've recruited well enough for this to be a good defense. My concern still, though, is in that back end. You look at, at Kentucky secondary, and they were first in the SEC in passing yards allowed per game, uh, yards per pass completion. They were two spots higher than Florida last season. They were fifth best in the SEC. Florida was right there in the middle of the pack at seventh. I completely agree with you. Florida recruits better, and they should have a bounce-back type of year, especially with non-conference play. At the same time, though, Kentucky's player development, I think, is exceptional. And then also, you look, they're also going to get non-conference play as well. So I'm just, I'm not necessarily high on either of these two teams. Sure. I just like what I saw from Kentucky last year, and I don't know if Florida's going to be able to make significant enough of a jump to surpass them. Number six on our list, LSU is at a renaissance for the Tigers on defense in 2021. The only reason that they are number six, it's similar to 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 our thoughts on Florida, is we do believe they're going to be able to make a jump forward, and I do believe that LSU has the talent in that defensive back end to to make it work. They were second worst in the SEC last season in yards allowed per game. Everybody knows about that passing defense. Uh, they were second worst in the SEC there as well, at least according to SEC StatCat, but I know that they were worst overall in the, in the country I don't know how that's accurate SEC stat cat come on but they have the talent and the question to me for me is does Durante Jones get it done I think it gets enough, it gets it done enough to where you could see him between sixth and eighth in the SEC at the end of the year sure I'm, I'm fine with that I have a hard time turning down these two cornerbacks and Eli Ricks and Derek Stingley I think they're absolutely phenomenal so I, I do believe that there will be an uptick in pass coverage they actually weren't half bad at pass coverage last year despite relatively above average sack production they had 2.4 sacks per game which isn't horrible but opposing quarterbacks only completed 59.6 percent of their passes and we all thought that this wasn't that great of a pass defense and they still held opponents to less than 60 percent completion percentage that was hard to come by last year there's a lot to like about this lsu defense we'll take a stab at our top five tomorrow tip for another edition of on the line we'll be back with you same time tomorrow same place you know where to find us